If I push the button. Hey, it's been a while. I got to remember how to do all of this again. No, it's, uh, it's good to see people again. As fun as it is to preach to an empty sanctuary and, and stare at a camera the whole time, <laughs> it's, it's good to actually see some people, even in a, in a, in a different setting. I, uh, it, it is good the Mises are right here, so I do have a sense of normalcy as far as somebody sitting in their spot. But uh, um, I, I, I think, I've, I think I've, we've written this in emails that have gone out, but... Uh, but I really do appreciate, uh, and I'm speaking for, on behalf of the elders here as well, just appreciate uh, the prayer and support from, uh, from everyone throughout this time. Um, I, I must have skipped the class in college where they taught you how to pastor through a pandemic because I, I, we were all flying blind on this one. But, uh, uh, but having your prayer, know, knowing that you were praying for us, um, hearing words of support, we really appreciate that. Uh, early on in this whole thing, uh, um, I, I kind of had this sense, you know, maybe for our country, for our world, this could be a uniting kind of a thing. You know, everybody comes together to, to you know, join efforts against this pandemic. And probably two weeks in, I realized that wasn't going to be the case. And of course, we're we're, it seems like divide, as divided now as we've ever been, but uh, but it's good that it, in some place there's there's been some unity and there's been uh, there's been support through this, and so I appreciate how how you all have have played a part in this. I'm going to try to preach without sunglasses, but I don't know how long I'm going to make it, so just have to pardon me if I if I put those on partway through, but. You know, in, in in many ways over over the last three months. Um, uh, life kind of came to a screeching halt, um, and I think all we have to do is look back. My calendar looked so weird in April and in March, and uh, you would just look at it, and there'd <laughs> there'd be nothing for days at a time, and it just wasn't. Y- normally, I feel like I look at my calendar; there might be a day or two a month that doesn't have something on it, maybe. But man, life kind of just came to a standstill. But then, in other ways, life continued on as it always does and and i think in some ways the the regular occurrences that that continued even in the midst of a pandemic kind of kind of uh, took on new focus or maybe v- at least for me were viewed with a new perspective in a, in the light of of you know wor- worldwide turmoil um for example i think the, the the starkest thing that stands out to me is is childbirths and funerals over over the past uh, a few months. I mean, now granted, there were limitations and restrictions that affi- interfered with both of those, but but uh, neither came to a halt. And 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 our church experienced both of those things in our time apart. Right? We had the birth of Tilly. Is Tilly's here this morning? Right? Is yeah. So we had the birth of of Tilly Bridges. What a g- <laughs> for your first Sunday ever to come to church. What a what a memorable one, right? So we had Tilly born, and then, of course, we, uh, over the past few weeks especially, have mourned uh, Betty Burbank's passing and Mary Wood's passing as well. And, and you know, it's, uh, those, things, those things continued, even though we weren't, weren't meeting together physically. Uh, and, and also during that time, you know, uh, another death which I, I would say you know, impacted perhaps the entire English-speaking church was, was the death of Ravi Zacharias, which you maybe heard about a few weeks back. He was, he was a renowned apologist who, 
who blessed many, many people uh, through his ministry, through his work. Uh, I mean, some have said that Ravi was to apologetics what, what Billy Graham was to evangelism, right? That, that he was that kind of intertwined with, with that uh, discipline or that area of ministry. And, and there are so many quotes from, uh, from Ravi through the years that are, that are memorable and are worth contemplating. But there's one in particular that I want to read this morning about forgiveness. That's uh, well, part of what we'll be talking about today. Th- this was taken from his Facebook page about six years ago. I wish my musings on social media were this good and, and this thought-provoking, but, but this is what he wrote on, on, uh, on Facebook. He said, The grace of forgiveness, because God himself has paid the price, is a Christian distinctive and stands splendidly against our hate-filled, unforgiving world. God's forgiveness gives us a fresh start. So many good things to think about within that quote. A couple that that I focus on, you know, one, forgiveness is, is, it's not a hallmark of a culture or or, or a world apart from Christ. It's a a Christian distinctive, as as Ravi said there. It's a Christian distinctive. It, It ought to be the hallmark of Christian lifestyles. It ought to be something that, uh, that, that makes Christians stand out in a world that can often be, be lacking uh, in, in forgiveness. And then the second thing is that it's a Christian distinctive, of course, because of Christ, because of who he is, what he has done on the cross for us. And we'll explore that a bit more this morning as we get into 2 Corinthians what we're going to see this morning in, in, uh, in our passage is that, that Paul lays out this process of addressing offenses. Addressing offenses. And forgiveness plays a key role in that process, but it's not the only step in the process. In fact, forgiveness is actually the third step that Paul talks about. So, so we probably shouldn't even jump too far ahead of ourselves this morning in, in talking about that, but... But as we're going to see, Paul gives us this process. And we have to remember as we, as we come to this passage this morning, Paul is Paul's addressing a situation in the church that was a public situation within the church in Corinth. So, so we're not given a, a, a ton of specific details about what exactly was going on, but we're given enough to have a decent idea of what took place. So in light of this morning's passage, uh, in light of chapter 7 that we'll get to eventually as well, it seems that there was an individual in the church in Corinth that opposed Paul personally on, on one of his visits and, and personally attacked Paul. We don't know exactly what form that attack took, but, but after departing from the city, it seems that it, it, it caused Paul to, to write a harsh letter to the church addressing uh, the whole matter. And, and, and even though that was a public situation that we'll see in 2 Corinthians, we're going to find that this process that Paul lays out this morning definitely applies to personal situations as well. And, and, and most important, we're, we're going to see parallels in our own relationship with God also. So that being said, I would encourage you to, to open or uh, either turn to it in your Bible or open it on your phones to 2 Corinthians chapter 2. And we're going to be in verses 5 through 11 this morning. So I will just read straight through this passage and then we'll go back and, and work our way through it together. 
So 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 5, it says, Now if anyone has caused pain, he has caused it not to me, but in some measure, not to put it too severely, to all of you. For such a one, this punishment by the majority is enough. So you should rather turn to forgive and comfort him, or he may be overwhelmed by excessive sorrow. So I beg you to reaffirm your love for him. For this is why I wrote, that I might test you and know whether you are obedient in everything. Anyone whom you forgive, I also forgive. Indeed, what I have forgiven, if I have forgiven anything, has been for your sake in the presence of Christ, so that we would not be outwitted by Satan, for we are not ignorant of his designs. So as we, as we look at this process that, that Paul lays out, and uh, you can see it in the, in the sermon notes in, in your bulletin this morning as well. The first step in this process is recognizing that, uh, that, the, that there's real pain there. So, so uh, when, when, we are, when we are wounded, when we are offended by someone, it's, it's recognizing that the pain is real. That there's real pain as a result of whatever it was that took place. Yeah, something that I that I think is kind of intriguing to do is, is is have conversations with people either from other parts of our country or other parts of the world, and and in having those conversations, it's always fascinating to to just kind of hear about how how you know people believe or live or eat or or think or just function differently than than what I'm used to. And, and you, you know, what you'll see is certain regions of our country or certain cultures of the world can become known for certain tendencies. Now, when you think about uh, the Midwest, something that, that you often hear about the Midwest is that, that we aren't always blunt or we aren't always confrontational as, as Midwestern people. And, and the positive spin on that is, is that we're nice people. You can kind of look at it positively or negatively if you want to. And, and there's even, there's even, you'll even sometimes hear it referred to by the, the phrase Midwest nice. That there's just this thing of, of being a, a nice Midwestern person. And I think, uh, you know, it's an observation that I think has, has a grain of truth to it. Maybe, maybe lots of grains of truth to it. Um, it's a temperament which, which I think can, can lead to, to, of course, less confrontations, probably more amicable relationships. But, but within that temperament is also, uh, you know, there, there's an, uh, an avoidance of confrontation that can go along with a denial of pain, really. You know, and in, the, in an attempt to resolve a situation too quickly, we, we can deflect or, or, or even ignore pain that was caused by someone towards us. So, so someone might come up to me and, and, and if I let them borrow my hammer and they, they bring it back and say, oh, I'm so sorry I, I, I broke your hammer that I borrowed from you. The, the nice Midwestern thing to do is just say, oh, it's, it's no big deal. It's no big deal. I know it's kind of an old hammer anyway. Don't worry about it. You know, it, it, we're fine. When in reality, that old hammer might have been my great-grandfather's that, that meant something to me, that's, that, that has sentimental value to me. But the kind of the Midwestern thing to do is just say, oh, it's no big deal. It's fine. You know, don't worry about it. I don't want to, I don't, I don't want to make that person feel bad. I'm just going to maybe ignore my pain or, or, or just, just act like it really didn't affect me whatsoever. 
You know, that's kind of the Midwest nice way to handle the situation. That's, that's not what Paul leads us to in 2 Corinthians here. That's not what Paul encourages the church to do. Paul recognized that the, t- the attack against him, uh, it led to pain. It, 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 was, it was a situation that just shouldn't be so quickly brushed aside, that there was pain that resulted from what took place. I think at times we, we don't do ourselves any favors by ignoring that pain that can be caused by certain actions. Now, I don't, I don't think that that means that we just instantly blow up at a person and it, when they wrong us or, or we just lash out against them in response to our pain. But, but even though it kind of goes against a Midwestern upbringing, I, I think it does mean that we ought to recognize pain that we feel. We ought to legitimize pain that we feel when, when certain things happen to us, when somebody uh, does an offense to us in a certain way. And you know, if you think about it, God, as you look through Scripture, God responds to us by, by recognizing the results of, of our actions. You know, you think about Romans 6.23, right? For the wages of sin is, oh, it's no big deal, don't worry about it, it's fine. The wages of sin, now, well, well, it's fine, don't, don't, don't worry about it, don't mention it again. Right? I mean, that, that's... That's not what God says. The wages of sin is death. There's a recognition there that there's a real outcome from, from an offense that has taken place. And, and you see that all throughout Scripture. There, there's a reality of, a, of the situation caused by sin. And there are real effects of sin that have real outcomes. And in Scripture, those effects aren't glossed over. Not at all. Instead, they're, they're addressed in a, in a realistic manner. And it can honestly make it... I think a little difficult at times to read scripture because we're confronted with our sin and, and we're forced to kind of go to step two as we'll, we'll see soon, but, but at least recognize that there's, there's pain there. You know, I don't, I don't like to think about how my sinful actions grieve the Holy Spirit as Paul writes in Ephesians chapter four, but, but they do. There, there's, a, there's a very real pain that comes from the offenses that I, that I perform against God. So, so the first step in this process, as Paul lays it out in, uh, in chapter 2, is recognizing pain. Recognizing pain that's caused by the offense. W- what we also see in that is uh, Paul recognized that because in, in that situation, because it was a public situation, that the pain wasn't just limited to Paul. Even though Paul was the one who was attacked, he was the one who was confronted by this person. The pain wasn't isolated just to Paul. He, he realized that because this person was part of the church, that the whole church was experiencing pain as a result of what took place. And, and honestly, that, that's exactly how it should be within, within any family, within a biological family, but, but within a church family as well. That, that was the exact thing that Paul wrote to the church in his letter before this, in 1 Corinthians. He talked in chapter 12 that if one member suffers, all suffer with it. If one member is honored, all, all rejoice with it. And so in that section, Paul's, Paul is comparing the, the uh, church family to a physical body, body, and he's talking about the importance of each part, but also the interconnectedness of, of every part of the body. And so what affects one member ought to and does 
affect all the other members as well. So when this one person confronted, confronted Paul and, and, and caused him pain, it affected the rest of the church as it, as it should have. And really, I, I would say the pain of the entire church shows that they were taking Paul's words earlier to heart, that they, they were a, a, a tight-knit group, that they were a church family. So, so any kind of offense committed against or, or by someone in our church body affects us all, especially when it's done in a public manner. Uh, we, all, we all suffer together. And we're called to rejoice together, of course, but, but we suffer together as well. And so, so uh, offenses uh, against a person, as we've said, cause pain, not often just for the single recipient, but, but even for others who are, who are interconnected in the situation. So we see that in, in verse 5, as Paul talks in, in 2 Corinthians 2. The first step is addressing, in addressing the offense is, is recognizing pain that's caused. The second step is, is to, to respond then to that pain that is caused. And again, while we don't know the exact details of that uh, situation in Corinth, we do know that the church responded to this offending individual. Uh, Paul actually told them in, in verse 6 that what they had done was enough. You know, Paul says, you, you responded to this offense, you know, you're good. You don't need to continue in your, in your current response there. So, you know, church discipline, which is presumably what happened there, church discipline is another one of those things which we don't always want to talk about, <laughs> but, but it's necessary, especially in addressing offenses within the church, especially public offenses within the church. So, again, in his previous letter to Corinth, uh, Paul talked about what should be done. And in that previous letter, there was a man who was committing adultery and, and didn't seem to be repentant of that. And so he guided the church in how to respond to that offense. Um, Jesus gives other details in Matthew chapter 18. Uh, our goal today is not to hone in on church discipline and, and, and lay that out, but, but just to recognize that that, uh, that that was the response to the, the offense. That was the response to the pain in that specific situation. Now, now we, have to be, we have to be careful not to assume that this passage allows us to become, uh, to become vigilantes who, who take matters into our own hands and re- repay pain every time we feel it. I, I mean, the Bible talks in, in Ecclesiastes 3, Hebrews 10, Romans 12, Luke 18 about how, how God is the one who brings justice, that, that, that we must rely on Him, we must rest in Him rather than seek to dish out justice ourselves. So uh, the purpose of what Paul speaks in this is, is, not, is not punishment or, or discipline in the form of justice in order to balance the scales. What he's talking about here is something that is meant to lead to a repentance of sin. That, that that's the point in it. The, 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 the goal is for the, the individual in this situation to, to come to a place where they recognize the pain that they've caused others and then repent of that, to, to turn the other way, to, to not just show sorrow, but, but to truly repent. So, so discipline of any time can, can, be, can be difficult. It can be difficult to employ. It can be uncomfortable to receive. Uh, but it's important. It's, it, it's an important step in this process that Paul is laying out uh, it, because it leads 
to repentance. That, that's the ultimate goal, especially when it comes to a brother or sister in Christ, that they would, that they would be restored relationally to those that they've wronged. And, and repentance is a, a key step in that process, as we see. Now, we don't do ourselves, we don't do our offenders any justice by, uh, by ignoring the offense. A, a person doesn't often come to a place of repentance until they are confronted with the results, with, with the gravity of the, the offense that they've caused. And, you know, you think about God. Would, would God be doing us any favors if he just ignored our sin and, and just let it go and, and really didn't tell us anything about the gravity of it? Not only would we eventually be forced to pay the penalty of our sins because God is a just God and that, that time would eventually come, but our relationship with him in, in that instance would probably remain indefinitely damaged because we'd have no idea that what we had done was, was causing sorrow, that there was a break in the relationship between us and him. We, we'd have no clue that we were causing him pain if it was not addressed for us. So it, it, it truly is for, for our good that we are confronted with the realities of our sin, that the discipline we experience from our Heavenly Father hopefully leads us to, uh, hopefully leads us away from further sin and leads us to then that place of repentance. And, and again, I, I mean, the writer of Hebrews says no discipline seems pleasant at the time, but, but in the end it, it does bring about righteousness in our lives when we repent and we seek forgiveness from God. So, so, so those two steps so far. So we recognize pain that's caused by the offense. We, we respond accordingly to it. And that leads us then right into the, the third step of the process where forgiveness finally makes an appearance. You notice forgiveness is kind of the third thing that Paul talks about in this. Again, the pain from the offense is real. There was a real response from the church uh, meant to lead to repentance, and now then the time had come to move to that place of forgiveness. So what we see in the passage is that the forgiveness that, that Paul encouraged the church to show was, was w- that it would impact both the offender and, and those who were offended, that they are both impacted by forgiveness. So, so if you look in verse 7, I mean, Paul states he didn't want the offender to be overwhelmed by excessive sorrow. He recognizes that there's, there's, there's freedom there in forgiveness that the offender themselves would feel. And then regarding the offended, in verse 11, you see that, that Satan schemes to keep us away from a place of offering true forgiveness to others. And so there's, there's freedom as well for the offended to not fall into the, the traps that Satan is setting. I mean, imagine, imagine those first two steps in the process taking place without forgiveness ever being offered. I mean, th- those who were offended, you know, they, they voiced the real pain that they felt. The offender came to a place of sorrow and repented over their actions, but, but without forgiveness, both the offended and the offender would stay there. They would remain there. They'd be, ref- they'd be forced to relive that situation over and over and over again. For the offended, the focus would always be on the pain that they felt. 
for the offender, the focus would always be on the pain that they caused, and it would stay there without forgiveness. Without forgiveness, there's, there's no healing. There's no restoration. There's no, there's no reconciliation, which is the point of this whole thing. And this, that's what Paul is driving at with all of this, the reconciled relationship. Without forgiveness, you can't get there. And it makes me wonder, why would I ever be tempted to, to function in that way? Why wouldn't I seek forgiveness? Why wouldn't I offer forgiveness? Because without doing that, there's never that restoration. There, there, there's never that coming back together relationally. You know, I, I think when it comes to offering forgiveness, we can be tempted to, uh, we can be tempted to think that by doing so, it means that we're denying our pain. If we forgive someone, then oh, the, then you know, I, I, I'm really not feeling pain from anything. I might be tempted to think that offering forgiveness means that we are overlooking or condoning the offense that was done to us. Uh, you know, we might we might try to withhold forgiveness in an attempt to uh, ensure justice, but but none of those things work. <laughs> none of those things work. When it comes to seeking forgiveness, we might be tempted to assume that the other person's just overreacting to the situation. I I have no need to seek forgiveness. Their their pain isn't real. Uh, we, we'd rather think of them as being wrong because they're they're overreacting. We'd rather think that instead of own up to our own our own actions. We'd, we'd rather ignore forgiveness in an attempt to, to kind of feel or secure innocence for ourselves. But, but it's only when the pain is truly recognized, really by both sides, that, that, that forgiveness can be offered and can be sought and should be offered and sought. Because again, that's, that's when reconciliation comes. That's when there's restoration of relationships. I was, I was thinking about this uh, with teaching my own children forgiveness. Man, how many times do I try to bypass those first two steps and just run straight to the forgiveness with my kids, right? I, and, and it's like, man, it probably does them no good to seek forgiveness without having them recognize the pain that they've caused. Probably does them no good to push them to offer forgiveness without recognizing the pain that they feel, right? Yet for some reason, I still <laughs> go back to that, that age-old ritual when, when there's a confrontation. Now you tell them you're sorry. Now you tell them you forgive them, right? I mean, it's like I just go straight there and that makes it all right. But man, when I do that, I'm trying to get to step three by just bypassing the rest of it. There's, 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 it's necessary, to recognize the pain for both parties, those, those that, that have received the pain and those that have caused the pain. It's a necessary step in the process, and it's only after that that forgiveness, I think, truly can take place. And that's why forgiveness is such a process, isn't it? Because we know we can't just jump there. It takes time. It takes effort. It takes reflection, reflecting on what we feel, reflecting on on what uh, on what others feel as a result of of the situation we ought to expect forgiveness to take time because it just does when we commit an offense we ought to we ought to expect that it's going to that we need to take time to recognize the pain that we've caused when when somebody's hurt us we ought to expect that we ought to we ought to take the time to recognize our pain to to work through that pain and then 
will be ready to offer forgiveness when that time comes. It, it, it's emotion-filled, right? This whole process, dealing with offenses, it's emotion-filled, it's, it's time-consuming, it's, uh, it's messy at times. So much easier just to be Midwest nice. I don't worry about it. We're fine. It's so much easier to just say that, but man, it, it's, it's not what Scripture leads us to. It's not specifically what Paul leads us to in this situation either. You know, fake forgiveness, lack of forgiveness, that's, that's the path paved by Satan. That's the path that leads to anger. It's the path that, that leads to broken relationships. But the path that Christ paves, the path of true forgiveness, is the one that leads to reconciliation. And that's the one that, that we are called to walk. That's the one that I think deep down we truly do want to walk because we recognize the healing that takes place there. You know, Paul, Paul wrote in Ephesians uh, 4, he said that to hang on to anger and, and, and so withhold forgiveness, it's to give the devil a foothold. It, it gives the devil an opportunity to, to work in our lives. And, it, and it's from those footholds that things like grudges and, and retaliation and enmity and strife and, and divisions, they all take hold there. Those, those footholds that we give to Satan when we, when we refuse to engage in this process. And Satan's out to destroy relationships. That's, that's what he does. Uh, relationships between us and others, but, but between us and God as well. I mean, that's, that's his goal. Forgiveness short-circuits that goal of his. It leads back to reconciliation. And again, the, the, the whole foundation of this process of, of addressing offenses, coming to a place of forgiveness, it's the work of Jesus on the cross. It's what Ravi Zacharias was talking about. It's a Christian distinctive. It's grounded in the work of Christ. Now, we know that God is without sin, so of course he hasn't committed an offense against us, but, but boy, have we against him, haven't we? And so God's not in a place where he needs to recognize the pain that his offenses have caused because he hasn't committed any offenses, but... But man, he's been, he's been honest about the pain that we've caused him. And, uh, you know, we have to look no further than, than the Gospels, the, especially the ends of the Gospels with the crucifixion to, to see that pain that sins cause. You know, and, and I don't want to make light of the, the physical suffering of Jesus, which is horrendous and something beyond what I can even comprehend. But man, perhaps the most gut-wrenching moment on the cross is when Jesus cries out in the words of Psalm 22, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? I mean, the, the, the pain in that cry is incredible. And it's pain caused by our offenses, caused by our sins. And so Jesus recognizes it. He reveals it to us by his cry. And we, as the offenders, need to recognize it as well and allow that to bring us to a place of repentance, a place where we recognize what we've done and, and, and seek forgiveness for it. You know, the great thing is, is uh, as Paul said in verse 7, you know, the, the point for the offender is not to be overwhelmed by excessive sorrow. And, you know, when we recognize our offenses against God when we repent and seek forgiveness. The great thing is that he does forgive us. He's willing to forgive us and cleanse us. And then, of course, Paul 
He's going to go on to say in chapter 5 of 2 Corinthians that, that God ceases counting our trespasses against him. And he instead brings us back into that reconciled relationship. It's the point of the whole thing. That's the goal of the whole process, reconciled relationship. And so we can have it with God, but then that extends to us as well. And those who offend us, those who we've offended, that as we walk through this process, there can be restoration that takes place. Again, it's not going to be as quick as we want. It's not going to be as easy as we want. But, but through true repentance, through recognizing pain, through true forgiveness, there is that reconciliation that's possible. And I, you know, I guess to end this morning, I haven't overtly made made the connection, but I but I think this this passage has much much to say in in regard to the racial tension and the racial crisis in our in our country as we speak. I mean, Paul addressed these words to to people connected within a church family. But I think those words apply to the family of humanity as well. I mean, I mean we, are, we are all of the human race created in God's image, every one of us. And so, you know, when, when black men and women, fellow humans, cry out that they are being mistreated in many ways, we ought to listen to them. We ought to allow them to speak of their pain. We ought to allow them to bring us into their pain, even if it's only able to happen just a little bit. We we ought to allow that to take place. Doesn't mean we condone destruction, doesn't mean we condone violence, but 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 we should be concerned about the racism that has set the stage for what we see. I mean, you think about this process. Men and women in our world today are feeling deep, deep pain. That, that's, that's step one. We have to recognize that pain that is being felt. And one of the ways that we can deal with the offense, you think about step two, at least for us as individuals, to start is to, to examine ourselves and say, how, how have I maybe contributed to this whole situation? Maybe there's, maybe there's a place where, where I am the offender in this. And that's, that's, that's on us to examine, to hear the cries, to, to, to understand that pain is being felt, and then to look at ourselves and say, do I have a role in that? And if we find that we have committed an offense of some kind, then it, then it needs to be dealt with. We have to allow ourselves to, to enter into, again, as much as we can, pain that is felt pain that has been caused by us. We have to come to a place of repentance for that offense. We have to come to a place where we, where we seek to make things right as a result of that offense. And, and, it's, and it's when those first two steps are happening that true forgiveness can take place and then there's reconciliation. Right? I mean, uh, you think about protests and riots and and it's only when pain is recognized and, and, and affirmed and, and when we examine ourselves that this process can begin moving, that we can get to a place of, of forgiveness and get to a place of reconciliation. How awesome would that be? That's a place our country perhaps has never known. I mean, if you think about it, we've perhaps never known racial reconciliation, true racial reconciliation in our country. And I think, you know, and so obviously the gospel plays into this whole process, right? The gospel is the foundation for this, but, but it is possible. It is possible for our country to get to that place through the work of Christ, 
through allowing these steps to, to happen. So that's the goal in all of it that Paul lays out, reconciliation, to get to this place where relationships are restored. And I, and I love even in verse 8, um, Paul begs the church to reaffirm their love for this person. I mean, reaffirm. There was already love there before. I would say the love is still there. It's maybe overshadowed by the offense at that point. But to walk through this process, to get to the place of reconciliation, that that love can be, can be reaffirmed. Yes, there was a break in the relationship due to the offense, but, but there's healing that can take place. There's forgiveness that can be offered and that love can once again rule the day. I think as Paul talks about, I mean, I'd say it's, you know, it's in God's sovereignty that we get to this. I didn't pick this passage out just for this morning in light of where we are as a country. I mean, this is where we are as we work through the book. And I think, and I think we're going to keep seeing connections that, uh, that as Paul writes to the church in Corinth, that have, have huge ramifications for us today as, as a church, but as a country as well. And so, so we'll see God's sovereignty again and again through that. But, but I would encourage us to, to reflect. I mean, that's kind of the first two steps of all of this. Reflecting on pain felt, reflecting on pain caused, and then from there moving into forgiveness. I would encourage us to do that this week, whether it's, whether it's racially related or, or just other places of, of tension, other places of offense that we feel in our lives to allow, allow the gospel to guide us in this process. That would be my challenge for us as we go throughout this week. Let me pray for us, and then we've got a, a couple more songs to, to sing together. Heavenly Father, I thank you that, that reconciliation is possible. I mean, you think about the, the ultimate offenses, the ultimate break in relationships, and that was between you and humanity. And yet there has been restoration there because of what you have done on the cross. And we are so appreciative of that. God, I thank you for how that uh, transforms our lives, for how that gives us hope, for how that directs our steps. And God, may it direct our steps now as we think about uh, offenses that, that have been done to us, as we think about offenses that we have done to others. God, may the, may the cross be be our vision in that. May the cross be the foundation of our, of our journeying through these steps, God, of understanding pain and, and getting to a place of forgiveness that allows reconciliation to happen. God, I thank you that we can be back here this morning. God, I thank you for the weather. I thank you just for, for, <laughs> for this, to this point, all the technology working. God, I, I just give you praise for that. God, I pray that as we, uh, we kind of continue on this journey, as we've said as a church, this next step of gathering in person again, God, would you keep guiding us in this? Would you, uh, would you help us to, to worship well and to minister well through all of this? God, we want you to be glorified. We want the, the gospel to go forth, um, maybe even because of, the, the situation in which we find ourselves, that there might be open doors and avenues for the gospel that maybe wouldn't have been there before. God, would you help us to see those? God, would you, would you bring honor and glory to yourself through us, through this season of life? 
And God, we just give you praise this morning for your love for us. We give you praise for your forgiveness. And we give you praise that we are reconciled to you once again. And it's in your name that we pray. Amen.